device and pointing it at the QR code on the screen. If you are new with us today, we are so glad you joined us. Please connect with us by going to PressChurch.tv or by snapping the QR code with your device and clicking on the I'm New link. This is not a commitment to anything, but an opportunity for us to support you and thank you for joining us. We are collecting toys for Common Ground Free Store's Miracle on William Street event, where parents can do their Christmas shopping through the free store. We are collecting toys for kids 12 to 17 years old. They should be new and unwrapped. Please bring them any Sunday in November. Press Youth will be meeting tonight, 6 to 7.30 p.m. at our POW campus for Presscape, a one-of-a-kind escape room experience. Will you get free before time runs out? A new midweek releases every Wednesday at noon on our YouTube channel. Join as our pastors dig deep into spiritual questions with each other. If you have any questions you'd like them to discuss, please email us at info at PressChurch.tv. From 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Tuesday, December 2nd, we will be hosting a blood drive at our POW campus. For more information, please email jason.allison at PressChurch.tv. If you would like to join Press Church in making a difference in this community, there are four ways you can support us financially. If you are visiting a campus in person, there is a box by the back exit of the Worship Center where you can drop your support as you leave. If you would prefer to send a check, please send it to 8794 Big Bear Avenue, Palo Ohio, 43065. The easiest way to give is by visiting our website or texting any amount to the number 84321. Let's celebrate everything God has given us and support the community both locally and globally. Now, let's prepare to engage what God has for us today. Watching online, I also welcome you. Um, you know, unlike Sean, I don't get this really cool video walk in where I come out and everybody's all pumped. So we're just going to have to start from scratch here and uh, try to build a little bit of excitement, a, a little bit of energy. All right. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> He's the only one. <laughs> uh, and my name is Jason Allison. I'm the pastor of spiritual formation at Press. And I am uh, excited to be here. I'm excited to share with you this morning. Uh, we're actually, uh, th this is called a, a bumper sermon, meaning it's between two series. Uh, last week, Sean finished up our Weird Church series. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I really enjoyed it. I, I found a lot of really uh, meaningful things in it. Uh, he already mentioned how last week he gave you the challenge of being thankful and writing down something you were thankful for each day. And I, I hope you were able to do that. Uh, just a quick recap, you know, he, he said right off the bat that we are addicted to things we don't have. And uh, I did recognize that a little bit this week as I uh, started to realize, wow, I actually want things that I don't have and I want it a lot and I should probably think about that. Uh, he went on to say, you know, gratitude refocuses us on what matters. The more we are thankful, the more we recognize what really matters in our life. Uh, followers of Jesus should, not, should be the most thankful and the most giving people that you know. Uh, and, and I wonder if that truly is what marks our lives as followers of Christ. If, if the people in your neighborhood or the people in your office were, to be, were, to, were asked, hey, what, what is the, who's the, the most grateful, who, who's the most generous person you know, would it be a person who follows Jesus? Um, and, and then lastly, you know, it was Jesus is asking for everything. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where Jesus says, I want you to give up everything and follow me. 
Uh, you are not the owner of things. You are the steward of what God has given you. And so it moves us into uh, this idea, this, this spirit of generosity, where we say, God, this is your stuff, and we want you to use it for your glory and for your honor. And so we are going to be obedient with that. And so that was last week. And as we move into, you may not realize this, but Thanksgiving is just around the corner. And uh, not long after that, I think we have like seven Sundays until Christmas. Everyone, you better start shopping because, you know, I hear with the supply chain issues and everything, right? You're not going to be able to just sit back and Amazon it for next day. You're going to have to actually do a little work this year. Uh, and so start planning now. But you know, as I was thinking about that, you know, that does remind us and puts into our mindset this idea of gratitude, this idea of, okay, what, what am I thankful for? What does generosity look like in my situation, in, in my setting, within my family? What are those things that uh, push me toward generosity? And, and, and we realize that it's, it's our ability to be generous that really amplifies then our testimony of who God is and what God is like. Uh, this week, before we dive into the next series that uh, just CR was showing me a little snippet of some of the, the, preview, the um, sermon video bumper stuff, and we've been talking through all the concepts, and, and I can tell you right now, it's going to be really cool, okay? Today is going to be terrible, but next week <laughs> is going to be awesome. Uh, and, and I really do uh, encourage you, think about who you can bring with you, uh, because it's, it's going to be some good stuff that we're going to talk about, and it's really going to move us toward Christmas and, and the idea of Jesus coming and being our Savior and what that means. So I, I would really uh, encourage you to do that. But this week, before we dive into that, I, I wanted to take just a pause, right? And, and I want to talk about success, significance, and the meaning of life. And it should only take a minute. Uh, we should be able to cover a, a lot of stuff. You know, over the last few years, for me specifically, God has really challenged me and, and, and my idea of what it means to be successful to what it means to live a life of significance. Um, I, I, I got to be honest, I always assumed that for me to have a life of significance, for me to have a life of meaning, that I had to do something significant. I had to be successful. I, I had to become great or become famous or, or at least, you know, I, I really needed people to acknowledge how amazing I was. And... You know, just, a, a, I guess, two months ago, I, I turned 50, and I looked around, and I was like, well, I, I haven't written my book yet, so that's not out there. Um, I got all the pages numbered, but I don't have the, you know, text down yet. But, you know, I, I really haven't, I can't look to some amazing company that I've built or some great success, or, or I'm certainly not famous by any stretch of the imagination. And so what does it really look like to live a life that is significant, that has meaning? Um, what does it look like to live a life that makes a difference in our community? There's a passage that has stuck with me through uh, just really for 28 years of ministry, oh, 30 years now of ministry. There's a verse that just stuck out every time, and it's found in the book of Acts in chapter 4. 
Uh, it, it, many people have heard verse 12 of chapter 4, and that talks about Peter and John standing before the religious leaders, and they say, there's only one name under heaven whereby you must be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. But then the, the, the leaders there send them out of the room because they want to talk about them, and they want to figure out what they can do about these guys who are disrupting everything. And this is what the leaders, kind of their, their summary of what's going on. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in Scripture. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. You know, beyond anything else, what stood out about Peter and John in this situation wasn't the business they had built, wasn't, you know, this amazing thing that they had done. It was that they had been with Jesus. And let that sink in for just a minute. Their accomplishments, their accolades, their education were insignificant. But they had walked with Jesus. The thing that defined their life was that they had been with Jesus. And that's what gave their life meaning and significance and purpose. They stood before these religious leaders they walked through Jerusalem, right? They walked beyond Jerusalem. And the thing that set them apart, the thing that defined them, that gave them meaning is they literally walked around with the stink of Jesus on them. Can you imagine what it would be like today if we were to walk around and we gave off, so to speak, the stink of Jesus in our life? That people would see us, that they would, they would watch what we do, they would see the way we interact with each other, they would see the way we love, the way we are generous, the way we are grateful, and they say, wow, that smells like Jesus. Because that's what happened here with these guys. If we fast forward 2,000 years to today, we, we have to start asking ourselves, what is it that sets us apart as people who follow Jesus? We talk about our identity. We talk about here a lot, helping people find their identity in Christ. And, and, and I've been wrestling with that a little bit because I've come to realize that the world, right, the culture in which we live, preaches the exact opposite message. The, the, our culture today has a significant issue, and it's what I would call sovereign individualism, right? It basically says that you, to be human, you are your own self. You belong to no one. You belong only to yourself. And that means that you, as an individual, living in this time, in this place, you are responsible for finding your own meaning of life, your own significance. And, and that's a freedom, right? I mean, hey, I get to choose my own adventure. Anybody remember those books growing up? I get to be whoever I want to be. I get to choose how I am living in this world. I get to choose what meaning looks like. But the problem is that freedom is also a burden. And honestly, it's, it's a burden that's extremely heavy. And if you just step back and, and you think for a minute, okay, our culture says that, but does our culture do anything to help us cultivate our own meaning? 
Right? Does our, our culture do anything that, to give us, to equip us to do this? And, and I would say, yes, there are some things that our culture tries to do to get us to determine our own meaning and our own significance. And, and usually it's things like, you know, art. And art is a wonderful thing. But what, what does it do? Art, it gives us an ability to validate our emotions based on what other, how other people react to things that are going on. Think about great literature of today. Think about great, great movies, right? Great theater, great, great songs. I mean, how many of you, when you were in high school or maybe beyond, you had that breakup song, right? That just, it just spoke to you. And it's probably spoke to every other teeny bopper at the moment. But it just, it validated those emotions, right? It makes, oh yeah, I should be feeling this way because this happened and, and that's where I can understand things. It, it gives us this, this storyline, this narrative to identify with. Oh, I'm gonna overcome injustices, or I'm going to overcome this stuff, or I'm going to deal with this, I'm going to be a hero, and it kind of helps us, it's trying to say, hey, here's how you can find meaning, but you have to actually find all that. Another thing our culture does is it offers us groups or communities in which we can exist, and in which we can have a shared idea of who we might be, which can then validate who we are. And it helps us kind of try to be whoever we want to be because we surround ourselves with a bunch of people who are just like that. And if you think about it, that's really not being yourself. It's becoming like everyone around you. But, you know, we see this in the divisiveness of today's world, too. We look at the the political identities that people try to espouse and try to hold on to, and, and it actually isolates. It doesn't unify. Even things like sports teams, right? I mean, in a couple weeks... OSU has a game against that team up north. And if you are wearing anything that resembles maize or gold or blue or whatever their colors are, I wouldn't know. <laughs> then you know what? You're not on our team. You're, you're, your own, you're on your own. But we have an identity together. And so culture gives us these things. And again, that's not bad in and of itself. The question is, is that truly going to lead you to find your own meaning and your own significance? Because guess what? With sovereign individualism, where you are all on your own, you have to figure all that out. It is on you to figure it out. One last thing I've noticed is rituals. Right? We mark our time with celebrations, with, with uh, things that we purchase, with you know, times of, of parties, graduations, right? They mark time. They mark significant accomplishments. They say, you are becoming this person. We can tell because you hit this age or you finished this degree or you got this certification or you got this job. And what do we do with that? We, we do a trip, right? We, we go away. We, we celebrate it. We get a tattoo. Well, okay, I don't. But people get a tattoo, so I'm told, to commemorate an event, something that happened. And, and we do all these rituals that, that help us validate the feelings that we're having at any given moment. But again, it's looking outside saying, validate me. Tell me that I'm finding my meaning, that I'm finding my own significance. This is a burden to constantly be trying to establish my own identity as myself and everything that goes with that. Because here's the thing. When you are responsible for defining yourself, then all of a sudden morals What is right, what is wrong, are not given to you. You have to determine them. You have to figure out what is right and what is wrong. You are responsible for that. 
And if we open up scripture and we turn back to, oh, I don't know, the very beginning, Genesis 3, we've got the man and the woman. And what is the temptation? The temptation is separate yourself from God being over you and instead be your own person. You figure out what is right and what is wrong. You determine what is best, what is right. You determine what is wrong. You shouldn't let God tell you any of that. You are your own person. You have sovereign individualism, right? You can do whatever you want. God made you, but now he's saying, be your own self, become significant, become a person who has meaning in their life. And what did that lead to? It led to shame. It led to blame. It led to guilt. It led to death. See, we were not created to establish our own significance as people. We were not created to to make our own meaning. We were created to be God's, to be God's people, to be God's own creation. We were created so that God could give us meaning and significance and hope. That's the way we were, we were made. And so we have to ask ourselves, so how does God give us meaning? What, is it, what does it mean for us to embrace our identity in Christ? What do we need to do in this process? Because we're told by the world one thing, we're told by Scripture and by God another thing, and, and we're wrestling and we live in this tension constantly. So what do we need to do that would help us move forward in this journey? And a couple things I just want to throw at you today. Something to wrestle with, to think about. First of all, um, we have to understand that we, we have been stamped with the image of God. Genesis 1, uh, 27. What, what does it say? It says that he made them, right? He created them, male and female. And he created them in his image. And so God stamped us with his image. And now for us to embrace this identity of the image of God, we have to, first of all, embrace vulnerability. We have to embrace the fact that there are things in our life that the world would call a weakness. The world would call a vulnerability, an opening, a, a thing that they could exploit. Right? I mean, most of the time we're told, hey, hide any weaknesses. Right? You, you gotta you gotta cover up, you gotta make sure that no one knows what, what makes you weak, because they will dig into that, and they will just needle that until they bring you down. But the problem is, what makes us weak is the fact that we were created. We didn't create ourselves. And so we can't create our own significance and our own meaning because we are contingent on God. And God said he made us. He wants us to be his. And he's given us a purpose in all of that. He told us in the garden, he said, I'm going to make you. I'm making you in my own image, and you have a meaning. You have a purpose. I want you to tend this world. I want you to rule over the birds of the air and the the fish of the sea. I want you to care for this world. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you, as humans, to take this world somewhere. Do something with it. Make a difference by becoming who I have created you to be, not becoming your own person 
who rebels against you. We are to take the world somewhere. That is our meaning. That is our purpose. And it was given to us. We didn't get to make it up ourselves. The world around us says you've got to be in complete control of yourself. That's what it means to be strong, right? That's what it means to be a person, to be, to be your own self, and, and, and you don't have anyone else telling you what to do. That's when you have reached the top. I mean, let's be honest. That's why Sean wanted to plant a church, to be at the top where no one else could tell him. No, of course not. No, we, we, we start things like this not to rule but instead to serve. We do these things because God has called us, and so we are being obedient. To say, God, I'm going I'm to submit to what you have said, my, my meaning, my purposes. But the problem is when we admit that we are following the lead of someone else, we are embracing a vulnerable spot. Because we're saying, I'm not creating my own purpose. Instead, I'm going to turn and ask God. What is my purpose and meaning? And I'm receiving this from outside of me. And that looks like weakness to the world around us. Think about what Jesus did with his disciples, though, right? I mean, did, did he say, okay, I've done all this stuff with you. This is all great now. Go figure out who you are. Go be you and be the best you and, and just really, you know, be this whoever you figure out. You make up your own narrative. You make up, no, he said, Go, make disciples, be my witness, share my good news to the world, follow me, die to yourself. Those were the things Jesus said to do. Those aren't real exciting, right? People who write stuff like that now don't sell a lot of books because that's not a popular message. But that's, that's what Jesus said. He said, I want you to take what I'm doing and move forward with it. I want you to take the world somewhere because it's, it's floundering. And the only way it can go somewhere is if God's people embrace his image stamped on them and live that out by following his lead and making a difference in the world. The thing that God really really spoke to me in this. He really just impressed this from multiple places. People telling me this, me reading this, just is, he said, quit trying to be great and try being obedient. That's what it is to embrace vulnerability. Quit trying to be great and making something of yourself. Be obedient. Paul is a great example of this in scripture. I mean, this is a guy who you know, was really on his way to the top of the Jewish world, right? He was studying with the best scholars. He was getting the degrees that everyone envied. He was the one who, you know, was at the top of his game. And yet then he found Jesus. Really, Jesus found him. And all of a sudden, he realized none of that was going to go anywhere. None of that mattered. But he still had that inkling in his, in his you know, he, that that. I got to do something. I, I, I want to be the best. I want to I do this great, God, right? I want to plant these churches and, and I want to do a great job. And I, I want to be the one that really, you know, changes this world, sets the world on fire. And, and yet he said that there was a, a, he called it a thorn in his flesh that kept him from 
moving into that, whatever that next level was. And he says he prayed three times. He says, God, this is holding me back from being everything that I think you want me to be. This is holding me back from becoming the best me that I could possibly be. you got to take this away. you got to remove this thorn so that I can truly be great for you. And in 2 Corinthians 12, God responds. He says, each time that, that I ask him this, he said, my, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. I'm glad because this way the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness. I take pleasure in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, vulnerable, from the world's perspective, I'm strong. Because that's when God's image shows forth. This is what it means to embrace vulnerability, to, to embrace the fact that you need God. And you need God to give you meaning and purpose and significance. Don't shy away from that need. And as you do this, as you begin to embrace this, the next thing that, that you can do as you're embracing your identity in Christ is to walk in humility. You got to walk forward saying, it's not about me. And, and, and honestly, as an extrovert who loves attention, that's a tough lesson to learn. Because it's not about me. It's about Christ in me. The world is asking you to determine what can you offer, right? What do you have that you can make this world great? What do you have that's going to do be a difference in this world? The world is saying, what do, you, what's, what do you offer? But that's, that's not really what God is asking. God is saying, I've given you gifts. Discover those, use those, embrace those. I designed you with, with special gifts that make you you, and that's wonderful and beautiful, but it's all done because I've also stamped my image on all of you. Those, those unique gifts are there for you to serve with. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, listen, there are, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of ministries but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God. The same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. See, your, your gifts are given to you so that you can build each other up. The, the things that set you apart make you unique, but they're not to be brandished as, as weapons or as things to hold over another person. They're there to serve others. You're not valuable because you have gifts. Your gifts aren't superpowers. You're valuable because God said, I love you so much that I'm going to give you gifts. 
You were valuable before you understood your gifts. You were valuable before you could do anything of significance or meaning. You were valuable because God said, I love you. And now, use what you have to serve those around you because they're special too. You know, when you didn't deserve it, that's when Christ came. Romans 5.8. He says, when, when you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And that's why then Paul says in Ephesians, right, he comes back to me, he says, yeah, when you were still sinners, Christ died for you? Because here's the thing. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not a result of doing great things, of finding this amazing new thing that changes the lives of people. It's not about all this stuff that you have done. Instead, you, you would boast about that. He says, no, no, no. We are his, God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that you could and that we could walk in them. See, your gifts, the things that make you unique, and they are wonderful and beautiful, and as a church, we need to embrace them and help each other cultivate them and give each other opportunities to use them. And you can look in, in 1 Corinthians and Romans, there are several places that talks about some of the gifts that people have, whether it's hospitality or generosity or, or maybe it's singing or doing something like that. Maybe it's teaching, maybe it's study. Whatever those gifts are, embrace them and use them for the church because they are definitely something that can build other people up, but they're not about building you up. And in all this, that means we have to surrender to God's sovereignty. Right? We embrace vulnerability. We embrace the fact that we are contingent. We, we are not, we're not able to create our own meaning. We're not able to create our own purpose and significance. Instead, we embrace that, no, this comes from God. And, and that means that we're going to walk humbly because, hey, we didn't do it. This has got to work because we are going to surrender to God's sovereignty, not our own. Really, the question that kept going on in my brain as I was thinking about this is, I kept asking myself, what, what am I trying to control in this life? As opposed to turning it over to God. What, what am I trying to manipulate so that I always look like I'm on top? What am I trying to do so that it always looks like I'm the guy that saved the day? I'm the guy who brought the goods. I'm the guy. I'm, what am I doing? How am I trying to control things in that way? Instead, what am I doing to say, God, you know what? I, I, I want to do what you are asking me to do. I want to surrender to your purpose in my life. And I'll tell you right now, that's a daily thing, okay? That's not like we're going to have a prayer, we're going to pray it, you're going to say those words, and then boom, everything's great. You never have another problem with this in your life, okay? This is a daily wake up, God. Okay, this morning I'm surrendering to your sovereignty. By noon, I will probably be ready to screw that up, so I may have to pray this again. You see, this was the central issue in the Garden of Eden. God created them and said, now, here's your, here's your job. Take care of this stuff. Care for this stuff. Be fruitful and multiply, right? Do all these things, and it's wonderful. But then humanity said, you know, I think I want to do my own thing. And they failed. 
but Jesus. Jesus came in and said, you know what? I'm going to accomplish what they couldn't accomplish. I'm going to do what will make it okay, what will fix this, what will put them back into the opportunity of having the right relationship with God so that they can find their meaning and significance in him instead of trying to do it on their own. Because when they do it on their own, it leads to things like the Tower of Babel. It leads to things like all the stuff going on before the flood, right? It leads to things like, you know, civilizations crumbling and attacking others and all these terrible things, these wars and famines. It leads to that. Instead, I want them to follow God's. God's will for them, God's purpose for them, God's significance for them. And he does it. He accomplishes it. But that concept of surrendering to God goes against every fiber of culture today. Surrendering my quest for identity, my right to chart my own course and create my own meaning is the ultimate sin in today's world. And just as in the garden, Adam and Eve were faced with this choice. Am I going to decide what's right and wrong? Am I going to take on the role of God, or am I going to surrender to God? Jesus in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, was faced with that same choice. And yet, what did he say? He said, not my will, but yours be done, Father. He faced that same opportunity to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go my own way. This, I don't like this one. <laughs> I'm going to go this way. And he said, no, no, not my will, but yours be done. He surrendered to the Father's will. And now he invites us to do the same. He said, if you want to have a life of meaning and significance, you're going to have to surrender to what God says about you. And I can tell you right now what God says about you is that he loves you and he thinks you're amazing and beautiful and he wants to be with you. He wants to support you and to love you and to lift you up and to bless you. But you gotta let him and that means surrendering that control. Today, as we um, work through this, we're gonna actually celebrate communion. And uh, for those of you online watching, if you uh, want to grab a, a, a glass of juice or something and, and some bread, you can grab that. Uh, hopefully, as you walked in, <clears throat> you, you got a, a little communion cup. It's not real uh, holy, but uh, it's, it's what we do during COVID, right? Um, and, and Jesus said, I, I want you to see this because this is, this is something that you're going to do on a regular basis And what it accomplishes is it reminds you that you are not your own, but you are God's. You have been bought with a price. You have been purchased. You have been ransomed. You have been redeemed. You've been given life. You don't have to make it up yourself. You don't have to create your own meaning. You don't have to choose, you know, or make something right or something wrong. Instead, you have been given this. Are you willing to receive it? And so we read that on the night he was betrayed, like literally the night that he knew he would head to the cross, he took this 
And they were celebrating a meal together, and in that meal there was a loaf of bread on the table. And in that original Passover meal, it represented a lot of things. It wasn't just a random loaf of bread. But Jesus took that bread, and he broke it. And he said, I'm doing this because I want you to see that this is my body that will be broken for you the next day, that will become the thing that gives you meaning, that, that allows you to understand who you are without you having to make it up yourself. I am willing to be broken so that you might be made whole. And so he took the bread and he broke it and he passed it to them and he said, take and eat this and every time you do, remember that I love you that much and you are worth everything that I went through. So today we take this little wafer and we remember what Jesus did and we eat it. So let's take it together. It says after dinner, Jesus took a glass of wine that was on the table. And again, it, it had some symbolic um, significance within the context of this meal, but he took it and he, he gave it a whole new meaning. He, he said, this isn't just something we do now because it's part of a little thing. This is now to remind you of the price that I paid for you because you are worth it. This is the, the way this new covenant is going to be sealed between you and God. It's not going to be sealed with you doing all this stuff or becoming something or, or establishing your own greatness. It's going to be done by my sacrifice for you. And so every time that you take this cup and you drink it, it's to remind you that, you know what, you are not your own. You don't have to find your meaning and your purpose and your significance all on your own. When you're willing to say, God, I'm going to look to you and surrender to you because I trust that what you have is way better than anything I could come up with on my own. So Jesus said, take this and drink it all of you and remember what I've done in this new covenant of connecting with God. And so we drink it together. Father God, this is a time where there are probably a couple people who are surrendering with what it really means. They're, they're struggling with what it means to actually surrender themselves to you because that is not something that we just love doing. That is not something that we just want to do. And yet, you have made it in such a way that we do choose to surrender to you, to give ourselves to you. And so God, today as we wrestle with that, as we think about that, as we start thinking about the implications of that tomorrow morning at the office, what does it mean to live a life that's surrendered to you, that looks to you for meaning and purpose and significance? God, I pray that you would begin to open little windows, little doors that show us how we can embrace what you have called us to do in new and fresh ways. Father, I pray that the people in this room and the people watching online would engage you in such a way that this world would look to us and say, wow, those people walk around with the stink of Jesus on them. And they're making a difference. 
because of who you are, God, not because of who we are. We give you the glory in all of this, and we ask you to move us closer to you, that we might know you better and surrender to you more each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us one last closing song?